This is Curl Up with a Cat Tale, and I'm Gwen Cooper, the New York Times bestselling author of numerous cat-centric titles, including Homer's Odyssey, A Fearless Feline Tale, or How I Learned About Love and Life with a Blind Wonder Cat, Spray Anything, More True Tales of Homer and the Gang, and The Book of Possum, Head Bonks, Raspy Tongues, and 101 Reasons Why Cats Make Us So, So Happy. We're here to celebrate all things feline and to tell inspirational cat tales. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Curl Up with a Cat Tale with Gwen Cooper. I, of course, am Gwen Cooper, your host, and so thrilled to be here with you today. Later on in this episode, I will be answering reader questions from two readers today, Rebecca Klein and Lisa O'Donnell. Uh, If you would like to have me answer a question for you on a future episode of Curl Up with a Cat Tale, or if you'd like to leave a comment for me to address, or if you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, if you want to do any of those things, head on over to GwenCooper.com. And that's where you'll find the contact form that will allow you to get in touch with me directly. You can also find information on my website about how to have your name and your cat's name featured in my next new book, which will be coming out this April. My new cat book will be coming out this April. So, you know, this is still a new podcast. And to that end, I am hoping to make Apple Podcasts list of new and noteworthy podcasts. And I would consider it a tremendous personal favor, those of you who are listening to this on iTunes, if you would leave a rating or maybe even a review, um, that that would mean a lot to me. It it would would be a a truly generous act on your part and much appreciated on my part. If you don't have the time or if you choose not to, that is certainly okay too. I am honestly just happy to have you here and listening to what I have to say. So, and, and on that note, I will thank you again for joining me here for this episode. Um, you know, I don't know if this has ever happened to any of you who are listening to this today, but I, I guess I must have had a dream about Homer last night because I woke up this morning with this very vivid feeling that I had just been with him, that 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 literally I had just been with him. I, I actually woke up and for a minute, I was surprised that he wasn't there uh, because Homer just had a way of knowing almost before I did that I was awake uh, because the instant I would open my eyes, he would be there to greet me. I guess my breathing, there, there must have been like a change in, in my breathing or some other, other very subtle change that Homer, who, who was always the, the master of picking up on subtle cues, I think in part or if, if not entirely because of his blindness, uh, was so great at doing and and so it, it was it was surprising to me for a second. I was like, "Where's Homer?" And then, of course, I I remembered that that Homer's not been with us since 2013. I can never figure out if if that feeling, you know, of of having been with someone who you've lost. You know, you wake up in the morning having dreamed about them, whether or not you remember the dream. You you wake up with that vivid sense that they are still with you, and then you have to remember all over again that they're not. And I can never figure out if that is a blessing or a curse. Um, although I'm apt to think that it's a blessing because it, it, it really was great for a moment to, to feel that Homer was with me, to, to have a sense of his physical presence in my life, again, was truly a great thing. Um, 
you know, and I was trying to figure out why, what, why, why now, why I had the, the stream, why I had this very strong sense of, of being with him. Um, and, and I think I may know. So those of you who have listened to previous episodes of Carl Up with a Cattail or who follow me on Patreon know that, you know, again, we've been having some food issues in our house. And I will again plug a Patreon, my Patreon page, uh, just for a moment. And again, it's patreon.com slash Gwen Cooper. I publish a bi-weekly column there. So every two weeks, you can get a new original piece of writing from me. I also have a bonus podcast that I publish there. Um, there's lots of other fun stuff on my Patreon page, and I encourage you guys to check it out. But I have written on my Patreon page uh, about some of the the fussy cat issues that we've been having, because my two cats have have recently decided um, that they are fussy. They've always been a little fussy. I, I think they, they've become, like so many of us, a little bored with quarantine life and the rich variety of foods that they were getting towards the beginning of, of quarantine have, have now kind of become old hat as far as they're concerned. But anyway, um, one of the steps that I've taken, and I don't want to get too far down this road, but one of the steps that I've taken uh, to at least partially address the problem is to introduce some dry food into Fanny's diet. I know that this is very controversial. There are all kinds of of good health reasons to avoid giving your cats dry food. Cats are obligate carnivores. Moist, meat-based food is much better for them. And I am particularly aware of these issues because one of my cats, Scarlett, was diabetic uh, which was st- solely because of her there being dry food in her diet, we result we were able to resolve her diabetes within six months by taking her completely off of dry food and giving her an entirely moist food diet. And then about eight years ago, we had the incredibly terrifying experience of of almost losing Clayton to a urinary tract blockage that was at least in part caused by dry food in his diet. Dry food can be particularly dangerous for male cats. It, it can cause um, crystals to form in their urine, and cats have a male cats have a narrower urinary tract than female cats do. Um, actually, at the time that this happened, the doctors were afraid that they might have to actually remove Clayton's little schmeckle as a way of solving the problem. Um, and yes, I, I said schmeckle. Actually, as a side note. The Yiddish word for condom is schmeckeldecker, which I bring up only because I like to collect funny sounding words. So if anybody else out there listening also likes to collect funny sounding words, then here's a new one for your collection. The Yiddish word for condom is schmeckeldecker. Maybe one day you'll be on on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire or some sort of, uh, you know, Jeopardy-esque quiz show. And that little tidbit will actually come in handy. But anyway, getting back to the beginning, I so I am aware that that it's not necessarily ideal. But by the same token, um, you know, there, there are general principles when it comes to your cats, right? There are general principles, but then there are the individual decisions that you have to make for the individual cat. Um, in the case of Fanny, she has a sensitive stomach. And with cats I've had who've had sensitive stomachs in the past, I have noted that some dry food can actually help settle their stomach. And we're now getting a grain-free dry food, which will hopefully not lead to any untoward spikes in her blood sugar level. She is also still getting some moist food. And, um, and you know, she's, she's very, very skinny. 
So I'm not super concerned at this point about a level of weight gain that might make her diabetic. Basically, I want her stomach to calm down a little. I want her to put on a little bit of weight. And I'm also hoping that if I can satisfy her a little bit more with the dry food, which she loves, then I really only have to work on trying to um, resolve Clayton's eating issues. Clayton, on the one hand, is entirely too fussy an eater. And on the other hand, uh, weighs a little bit more than he should. Actually, probably weighs a lot more than he should. I'm really not sure how it happened that I have one cat who's so skinny and another cat who's so pudgy. Um, although, and I've said this before, I really do love his pudginess. It's, it's, he's just so squeezy and soft. Uh, but he should probably lose a little weight. And so I'm trying to address one problem at a time. But the point of bringing all this up is that it's as I was setting up the dry food for Fanny in a spot that she can get to because Fanny is quite the athlete and Clayton only has three legs. So there are pieces of furniture and places in our house that Fanny can get to very easily, but that are too high for Clayton to be able to reach. And so I was setting up the dry food for Fanny in one of those places and I had it in my head to, you know, to be careful not to put the dry food, the dry food bowl and her water bowl right next to each other because I, I told myself, because, you know, cats will just throw the dry food into the water if the bowls are too close together. And then I, I stopped for a moment and I realized that that's not actually strictly true, that that's not a thing that cats do generally. That's a thing that Homer specifically used to do. Homer was was the cat. My, my older two cats, Scarlet and Vashti, when they were getting dry food and when they were younger, they would never throw the dry food into the water bowl. But whereas Homer, the second the dry food went into the bowl and the bowls were, if the bowls were next to each other, Homer would immediately put his little paw into the bowl of dry food and fling some of it into the water bowl. I'm not really sure why. You know, I used to ask myself, and it's not something I've ever seen any of my other cats do. Maybe some of you out there have cats who have done this. And, and have some theories as to why they like to do it. Uh, Clayton does like to drown his toys in his water bowl. Uh, he, he Poor Clayton, he subjects his toys to so many indignities. The more he loves a toy, the more horrible things he subjects it to. So if he, you know, the toys that he loves the most, he likes to drown them in his water bowl. He likes to bury them in his litter box. Um, I always imagine, you know, if if these toys were like the toys in Toy Story and, and had sentience and could talk, they, they would be extremely traumatized by the things to which Clayton subjects them on a routine basis. Um, but anyway, I've never had another cat who throws food into the water bowl. That was something that Homer Homer liked to do. Maybe he just liked the sound of of the food hitting the water bowl. You know, for a blind cat, sounds were very entertaining. And maybe that was just a sound that he found particularly interesting. But the thing is, as, as I was remembering this, as I was setting up Fanny's dry food and water bowls and saying, you know, you can't put them next to each other. Oh, wait a second. It, yes, you can. It, it was Homer for whom that was a problem, not Fanny. You know, it's I mean, this is going to sound this is a weird way to phrase it. But I realized that I had forgotten to remember this about Homer um, and, you know, I, I am incredibly lucky in that I have written books about my cats. I wrote books while they were still alive. So I was able to record 
for po- for my own posterity, let's say, even in a hypothetical scenario, if no one were to ever again read any of the books that I've written about my cats, they would still do me a world of good for having been written just so I have this 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 repository almost like like a memory jar, you know, just um just all these great things that to remember about the cats. Um, but of course, you you still you can't put literally every detail, all the little quirks that any individual cat has into a book. And there will just inevitably be things that, I mean, you can't shove it all in there. You still have to tell a story. You can't, you might not know it from listening to me on this podcast, but you can't just constantly sideline to shove in some other little detail, even if it's not relevant to the story that you're telling. And so there are all kinds of little details and little things about the cats that aren't in the books. Plus, you know, just things like like how they, what they looked like when they moved or, or how they sounded when they meowed. Homer had such an incredible range of meows. And I, I do find myself, as time goes by, not remembering those as clearly. And I guess we're all luckier today than I was, let's say, 20 years ago when, when my first generation cats were middle-aged in that we all now constantly carry around with us a, a high-resolution, high-powered, high-definition video recording device. Um, obviously, there were video recorders 20 years ago, 15 years, even 10 years ago, but they they were separate devices. They weren't necessarily as easy to use, and you didn't have them with you all the time. Now, it can be as natural as breathing to photograph or record your cats, and, and it's certainly something... I encourage you to do not because I necessarily think that the internet needs more pictures and videos of cats, although I love seeing pictures and videos of cats, right? But you you do not have to feel obligated to contribute to that. Plenty of those things already exist. But just for yourself, for your own recollection, because you will find as hard as it is to believe when your cat is, let's say, eight or nine years old and you've been listening to a particular purr or a particular meow for years and, and it's such an intimately familiar sound to you, you may find that in 10 or 15 years, it's harder to recall exactly what that sounded like. You know, the one thing that it kills me to be losing with time, and I still haven't figured out a way that this can be recorded, is smell. And I will say that I, I'm not, you know, I don't have some crazy sense of smell I am not a cat, so I, I cannot say that, that my I would recognize my cats by smell the way that Homer could always recognize me by smell or, or, you know, cats recognize each other or other people by smell. But Homer, and, and again, this he was the only one of all my cats for whom this was true. Homer, the back of Homer's neck had a very distinct smell. And, and to me, it always smelled like like milk and warm cinnamon cookies which I realize is a weird thing for a cat's neck to smell like. And I used to think that I must be hallucinating it or, or dreaming it. But I remember I, I wrote about it at one point in, in the book, My Life in a Cat House. I, I wrote about th- this, this wonderful, distinctive smell that Homer had. And my copy editor dropped a note into the text saying, oh, my God, my mother's cat used to smell like, I forget what it was, or, or no, I'm sorry, my cat used to smell like my mother's snickerdoodles. Um, was it snickerdoodles? It was some interesting. Anyway, the point being, she also had a cat who smelled to her like cookies. 
So at least there, there was at least one other person out there who had experienced a similar phenomenon, So which made me feel like maybe it was not completely in my head or something that was only specific to Homer, although it seems like it, it's probably a rare thing because I've had five cats and Homer's the only cat in, in whom I really noticed this distinctive smell. Um, again, I, I would love it if you guys would hit the comments section on my website at GwenCooper.com if you go to the podcast page. You will see at the bottom there's a box for comments, and I would love to hear from some of you if you've also noticed any particularly great, cozy, um, comforting smells that your cat might have. Um, you know, Homer used to be, like so many of our, our cats are for us, Homer used to be such a comfort for me at times in my life where I needed comfort. If I was having trouble with with work or friends or or in a romantic relationship and so on and so forth, Homer was such a comfort to me in so many ways. Uh, but definitely that that smell on the back of his neck, uh, that smell of of milk and warm cinnamon cookies, was just such an incredibly comforting smell. And I sometimes used to wonder if if did Homer really smell that way or or did he smell that way because I needed him too. But the thing, you know, the thing that kills me is that the smell is really the one thing there is no way to record. I could write about all the funny things that my cats do. I could take pictures of them to, to capture how they look. I could record video footage of them to capture how they sound. Um, I can even, you know, I, I have a little tiny when when we put Homer to to sleep, Um the, the the woman who came to our house to to put him to sleep cut a small tuft of his fur for us. So, so I have just a little tuft of his fur in a keepsake box um, along with his paw print. And and so these are, are tangible things that, that we have. Smell is really the one thing that, that it's always hard to, to capture. And yet, you know, it, you know, I, I would still say, like, it's funny, I got a, a perfume sample randomly um, I, I buy my, my scented, I, I wear like a scented oil. I don't wear a specific perfume because it's more cost effective and the scent lasts longer. So I, I use an oil of Tunisian jasmine that I get from a place in Miami Beach called The Fragrance Shop, just a little store in Lincoln Road that I still have sent it to me mail order. And they sent me a, a sample. Uh, and it did, the last time I got my my oil, they sent me a little sample of a perfume and it was their recreation uh, of a perf- an existing perfume. You know, they, they do the smell alikes, and um, and it was my grandmother's perfume. So so I open I open this little vial, and and instantly, you know, in a Proustian rush, as they say, but but instantly, I I was back in my grandmother's bedroom. She lived with us when I was growing up, and I was a little girl back in my grandma's bedroom, looking at all these exotic mysterious, you know, bottles of perfume and, and jars of, of makeup and cold creams and, and other things on her dresser. Um, and and it was a, an intense experience. And I guess I'm not really sure what I'm saying, except that that it's important to, to try to preserve these memories. Because time, you know, not doesn't just take people and, and places and things and, and other nouns <laughs> from us. Um, but but it eventually takes some of our memories, too, which is is really, in some ways, the worst part of it. But then it also gives us the opportunity to create memories and, and to create, you know, photos, um, journals, 
videos. I definitely encourage you guys, and and I certainly am not encouraging everyone to be a writer. Uh, It's not everybody's thing. Um, But to start writing down some of the funny things that you remember or notice about your cats that that you think you might not necessarily remember in 10 years' time, Um, because I think you will find that it really is an incredible blessing to have some kind of written record. I, I don't mean that that you should have to make being, you know, journaling, add journaling to your to-do list every day, but every so often jot something down. Um, I, I think you'll be surprised how much you enjoy going back to read it later on. And uh, on the note of preserving memories and, and capturing the sights and, and sounds and smells as they happen, I will note that I am recording this Early in the morning, not crazy early. Uh, For those of you who've been listening to my podcast from the beginning, I I have been sleeping much better of late, for which I am grateful. So when I say I'm recording this early in the morning, I mean that I'm recording it at around 6 a.m. as opposed to, you know, like 3 a.m. 6 a.m. is a good time. 6 a.m. I I get up at 5. I start recording at 6. And and it's all very normal and and on a very good schedule. And then at around 7, I I start the rest of my day. Uh, But so it is early right now. And... Everybody else is still asleep. And I so I, I was bad or or good, depending, I guess, on how you look at it. But I, I while everyone is sleeping, I recorded a little bit of audio of what my bedroom sounds like right now. And, and I'm going to play that that little clip for you. Just give me one second. So the the louder, heavier breathing is my husband, Lawrence, and the snuffly little snores that you hear in the background, that's my my cat, Clayton, um, who's such a snuffly cat. You know, it's it's again, it's interesting. Clayton and Fanny both snore a little bit. Uh, Clayton is pudgy, Fanny is skinny, so I don't think it's a weight thing. They, they both snore. Neither or none of my first three cats snored, but Clayton and Fanny both do. And in my book... The Book of Possum, Head Bonks, Raspy Tongues, 101 Reasons Why Cats Make Us So, So Happy. Um, one of the reasons that, that one of the things that I, I put in there, you know, one of the things that, that those of us who love cats love most about cats is falling asleep to the sound of your cat purring, right? That, that is just the greatest sound to fall asleep to. I, I think we can all agree better than white noise machines, better than music playing in the background, the greatest thing to fall asleep to, the greatest sound to fall asleep to is the sound of a purring cat somewhere in your vicinity. And I will stand by that. That is totally true. But a very, very close second I have learned over the last few years living with Clayton and Fanny, a very close second is falling asleep to the sound of your cat snoring. Um, I'm actually kind of mad at myself now that I did not include it in the book because it really is something that I love so much. I just I, I I love the sound of their snoring. They're they're such snuffly little kitties, and and I love that about them. And here's where I'm going to make a hard segue into the next portion of today's podcast, in which I will be answering our two reader questions of the day. So those will be coming at you in just a few moments. So please stick around for more curl up with a cat tail.
Thanks so much for sticking around. And today we actually have two reader questions that I'll be answering. The first one is from reader Rebecca Klein. I should also add, by the way, once again, if you would, if you have a question that you would like me to answer or a comment that you would like me to address on a future episode of the Curl Up of the Cattail podcast, by all means, please go to gwencooper.com. Send me an email. Leave a comment on the podcast's comment page. I would definitely love to hear from you. And um, yeah, and say your name on the air. And so today's first question comes from reader Rebecca Klein. Uh, Rebecca says, my favorite book of yours is Love Saves the Day, and I think it's your only novel. Do you plan on writing any other novels or other fiction in the future? Uh, Let me first say to Rebecca, thank you so much. I, I am, of course, delighted to hear that you liked Love Saves the Day. Uh, For those of you who don't know, Love Saves the Day is my only cat novel. I did actually write my first book that I ever published back in 2007 before Homer's Odyssey was also a novel. Uh, It is not about cats. It was about South Beach in the 90s. There are literally no cats anywhere in the book. Lots of like sex and drugs and celebrity mischief. You know, again, it was South Beach in the 90s. So proceed at your own peril, I guess, if you decide that you want to, to look at, if you want to dredge that that book up, um, consider yourself forewarned as forearmed and all of that. So Love Saves the Day it was my first and only novel about a cat so far, and it's actually narrated from the perspective of a rescue cat named Prudence, who I love so much. I based her on Scarlet, and, and I chose Scarlet as the model for my feline narrator because Scarlet always seemed to me to be such an opinionated and judgmental little cat. You know, Scarlet was my surly girl. But I also knew that underneath Scarlet's surface crustiness beat this very sweet and very loving heart that you really just had to work and dig a little to get to. But when you did, it was so worth it. And and sadly, really, no one else ever did. In fairness, Scarlet made it as difficult as possible. She She was very reluctant to let anybody get close to her. So I think in part, um, I, I wrote... I may I based the, the the feline narrator of Love Saves the Day on Scarlet in a part to kind of vindicate her before the world or, or to let the world see what I saw in her, especially the the kind of people who were like, why why do you even like that cat? She's such a mean cat. And I think every cat lover, right, knows that that cat has had a relationship with that kind of one person cat before, and nobody outside of that relationship understands it. Because they don't know. And, and you always sound like you're, you're a domestic abuse survivor when you say things like, you don't know what she's really like. You don't know what she's like when we're alone together. She really loves me. You just can't see it. Uh, but, it but all of those things are, are true. Anyway, this, this is getting a little uh, far afield from the question. But, so that's my novel, my cat novel, Love Saves the Day. And that came out in 2013. And as far as whether or not I plan to write any more fiction about cats, the answer is yes, I do. Um, Some of you may know about this already. You can learn a little bit more on my website. But I am planning on launching a series of cozy mysteries starring Homer the Blind Wonder Cat as as a crime-fighting cat who uses his enhanced senses to help solve murders in a small town, in a small South Florida town in the 1990s. So I will say first up that that this small town in the 1990s is not South Beach, but it is based very closely on South Beach as I remember it. Um, 
the cats in this book, so Homer, there will be a Homer the Blind Wonder Cat, even though this is a work of fiction. Homer the Blind Wonder Cat will be a character and Vashti and Scarlet will also be characters. Instead of living with Gwen Cooper, Homer will be living with a fictionalized version of a character who is, you know, a, a, I don't want to say exactly a fictionalized version of me, but certainly a character who is a lot like me. Um, I really wrestled with this question in writing this. You know, obviously, this is going to be a, a series, you know, a work of fiction. And I really wrestled with the question, if, if Homer is going to be the real Homer and Scarlet and Vashti are going to be the real Scarlet and Vashti, then should they be living with the real me in in this book? Should they be living with and, and helping to solve crimes with Gwen Cooper as opposed to a fictional character named Rachel? Um, I really wrestled with this question, and what I, the reason why I ended up deciding to, to come down on, on the side of, of a fictional character as opposed to me is because it felt very weird to write about myself using my name in the third person, um, and, and, which is weird enough, by the way, and, and then to be writing about myself in the third person doing things that I never did or, or having, you know, romantic relationships that I never had, I, you know, at some point in the series, at the beginning of the series, Rachel, much like me, is recovering from a recent heartbreak. But from there, I'm going to let Rachel start living her own life in ways that become interesting for the books. People at some point, they're going to want to see her date. They're going to want to see her have some sort of romantic attachments. And, and it all, as I started thinking about it, it just, it started to feel very weird for it to be me, even though it also feels weird to be writing about Homer with someone else. And and so this is sort of the compromise. The character will be loosely based on me, but will be very much her own character. And and so Rachel and Homer the Blind Wondercat are, are going to work together to solve murders in a small South Florida town. And I'm really, really excited to be writing this, especially because I, you know, fiction is still my first love. I, I always think it's sort of, I mean, ironic is maybe the wrong word, but, you know, for my own personal reading, what I read when I read for my own pleasure is almost always fiction. I don't read a ton of memoirs or biographies, not for any particular reason. I've, I've just always enjoyed fiction. It, it really is. I've been passionate about stories since I was a very, very little girl. It's literally one of the first things I can remember about myself what was I love stories. I love, sto you know, I love books that tell stories. And so for me, it's always been about fiction. And yet almost all of the writing that I have done has been nonfiction and, and has been memoir. So I'm really excited for this opportunity to to flex my fiction muscles a little bit. And I'm really excited to start a series. And I think it's going to be so much fun to write. I, I really... I really also think it's going to be a lot of fun to read. And in case you were wondering, uh, so the first book is already in progress and it is called You Only Live Nine Times, A Homer Whodunit Mystery. So the, the series is going to be called Homer Whodunit, the Homer Whodunit Cozy Mystery Series. The first book is You Only Live Nine Times. And that book should be coming out this summer. I'm shooting right now for July. And hopefully that schedule will hold. It, it of course, is always depends on, on how well my writing progresses. Um, and I'm actually hoping to come out with two of them this year. So I'm hoping for both the first book and the second book in the series before December of 2021. And I realize that is, that is certainly an ambitious roster. And hopefully I will be able to pull it off. 
And I really can't wait to to share this with you guys and to hear what you think, especially those of you who enjoy cozy mysteries. Um, and so, yeah, again, just uh, if you are not already signed up for my my mailing list and this sounds like something that would be of interest to you, uh, head on over to GwenCooper.com right now and you can join my mailing list and receive an immediate copy of a free new book about Homer in exchange for joining my mailing list. So that way you can get a, a, cop, a new copy of or a copy of a new book about Homer right now. And you can stay informed about the Homer Whodunit mystery series and when those first books come out. So that takes care of the first question. And today's second question comes from reader Lisa O'Donnell. And Lisa O'Donnell says, I see on your website that your books are published in a lot of different languages. Have you ever met any of your fans in other countries or done readings in any other countries? So the, the first, I, I'll answer the second part first because it is a very simple um, question to answer. And, and that is no, I have not actually done any readings in foreign countries. It is true that that my writing, particularly Homer's Odyssey, Homer's Odyssey has been published in something like 24 languages at this point. And and so there really is, you know, Homer is, is, um, is a truly... The world's cat, as my husband likes to say, Homer really is the world's cat and was while he was alive. I I just got such a wonderful letter yesterday, actually, from a high school student in Japan who speaks much better English than I speak Japanese, by the way, (laughs) and um, and, and who loved Homer's Odyssey and who found, you know, who had struggled with bullying in her school and found Homer's story to be meaningful. And, you know, it, it's great to get these reminders that that Homer does continue to live and that he does continue to live the world over. Um, interestingly, where Homer's Odyssey and where my writing about cats has done the best in general overseas is Germany. Um, outside of the UK, the UK obviously is where I have my second largest readership outside of the United States or outside of the US and Canada, I should say. But after the UK, it's Germany. And I've actually sold a lot more books in Germany than in the UK. I have more social media followers in the UK, but in terms of book sales, it's, it's Germany really has been huge. I, I always say that, that Homer, much like David Hasselhoff, is huge in Germany. And that is very true. If you, by the way, are one of my German readers and you are listening to this, uh, mad love to you. Thank you so much for reading and for recommending Homer's story. So um, you know, my husband is always saying that we should try to set up a, a German tour, you, you know, that we should go to various cities in Germany and, and I could read from the book and, and we could meet, um, you know, we could meet some of Homer's fans. The main obstacle to that, of course, is that I, I do not speak much German. And while I know that so many people overseas speak such wonderful English, I'm not sure if I were a German speaker who understood some English, I might not, I still might not want to go to a bookstore or even an animal shelter to hear an American author reading in English from her book. It might just not be a, a comfortable experience. I don't know. But anyway, uh, so the short answer for that is no, I've not done any overseas readings per se. Um, but I have met some of my fans from other countries. Uh, and and it's it's interesting. I, I mean, there are, there have been a few instances where, where I've had, where I've met fans from other countries. Um, there was one, for example, probably like like around eight years ago now, I guess. I was still living in Manhattan and I got a, a letter from a reader in New Jersey 
And her grandmother and her grandmother's sister, so her grandmother and great aunt, lived in a very small village in Brazil near the edge of the jungle, she said, and, and they where they ran a little tea shop and they loved cats and they had loved the Brazilian edition of Homer's Odyssey. And they were coming to the United States and really, really wanted to meet me and would it be possible? And so I arranged with her to to meet with with her, you know, Abuelita, her 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 grandmother and great aunt in this little diner, you know, like a coffee shop not too far from my apartment. It was so great to meet them. Truly, these two tiny, tiny, I mean, they were, I'm 5'1", and they were shorter than I am. So two tiny little old ladies from Brazil who looked so much like each other. Um, I forget now if they were actually twins. They might have been. But anyway, so we we met in this coffee shop. They speak a a little English. Um, I I speak some Spanish, which is close to Portuguese. so, So we kind of tried to muddle through uh, their their granddaughter slash niece, the, the, the woman in, from New Jersey who had set this up, she obviously speaks fluent English. The funny part was we're in this diner. And, and so these two women, they're taking all these pictures of me and, and of themselves posing with me. And you could see everyone else in the diner looking like looking at me like, is she somebody? Should should we know who she is? Because it, it just seemed like the, the sort of a flurry of activity that if you happen to meet a famous person in public, you might, oh, pose for a picture with me. Could you sign this for me? You know, I'm signing autographs for them. I'm posing for pictures. Um, I, of course, am, am essentially nobody. <laughs> and so people in the diner, you know, but there are legitimate celebrities in New York, of which I am not one. But you could see everybody else in the diner trying to figure out if I was a celebrity and if so, which celebrity I was. And and of course, the, the answer was they were not having a close encounter with a celebrity in, in their local diner at 11 o'clock on a Wednesday morning. It was just me, you know, a, 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 a humble writer meeting with, with uh, two readers from Brazil. And they, they actually, so they have a picture of the three of us together. They, they sent me hanging in their little tea shop on the edge of the jungle in Brazil. And they gave me this little, little tiny painting of Homer that they had made, which which I still have actually sitting on my desk right now. And and that was a lot of fun. There was also one time I was in, uh, my husband and I were in Iceland. I will add as a side note, if you're ever looking for a bargain vacation, if you want to make a getaway and you, you maybe are looking to save some money or you don't have a ton of funds, um, going to Iceland in the winter is a surprisingly cost-effective vacation because not a lot of people want to go to Iceland in the winter so you can get some really good deals on flights and hotels. I will say that Lawrence and I, although we appreciated the savings, we actually didn't go because it was cheap necessarily. We wanted to go to some of Iceland's thermal hot springs. And we really, and I wanted to see the Northern Lights, which I had never seen. It was on my bucket list. And we really liked this idea of sitting outside in Iceland in this hot, hot, you know, naturally hot water while the air around us was super cold. Um, and so we stayed at a spa that was right next to a natural hot spring. And so we got massages and we, you know, lolled around in, in the hot water and we watched movies in, in our hotel room and our like spa hotel room. And it was all, it was very warm and very comfortable, so relaxing and at such a reasonable price. It it might actually have been more expensive for us just to hang out in New York that weekend instead of the long weekend we went to Iceland. Maybe not, but it was pretty close, believe it or not. Anyway, so we were coming back. We were at the Iceland airport 
And the Iceland airport is the, the Reykjavik airport is not huge, certainly not as compared to to some of our sprawling American airports. And the waiting area for international flights, there, there's basically only one or two airlines and, and it's just one big room. And there was some sort of a weather condition. Um, like so, you know, again, it was Iceland in the winter. So there was some sort of a mini blizzard that was delaying the flight. So this one room where everybody was waiting for their flights was getting, although it was pr- pretty big, it was getting more and more crowded. And so Lawrence and I are sitting, uh, just sitting at a table in this increasingly crowded room. And obviously people are, are milling all over the place. But we noticed out of the corner of our eye, two women who seemed to be, you know, at a certain point, we realized they weren't just walking in our direction. They were walking over to us. And these were not two women who we recognized or had ever seen before. And and so, you know, we're, we're kind of watching their approach, like, like, do you, do you think they're going to ask for our seats? Or, you know, what, what, what is it they want? What do they want from us? Um... And so they they finally get over to us and one woman says, pardon me, but are you Gwen Cooper? And and I said, and I was a little confused. And I, I said, I, I, I am. I'm sorry. Have we met? And they said, oh, no, but we're such fans of Homer. We follow you online. And I'm not doing a great British accent, by the way. I apologize to my British readers who might be listening. But anyway, the long and the short of it is that that these were two women from the United Kingdom who followed Homer's Facebook page and and had seen the occasional picture of me on Homer's Facebook page and and they recognized me. Um and again, you know, we posed for pictures and and I signed something for them. Um and and it was you know, it was certainly fun. I I do not get recognized very often in, in the course of the last decade. It has probably happened three times that somebody has come up to me and said, "Are are you Gwen Cooper?" I'm a fan of your books. Um, this was one of those times. And I always say it's because nobody really knows what authors look like. You know, I guess in an age of social media, it's different. There are probably more people now who know what I look like than would have, you know, 10 or 15 years ago. But even still, unless you're following an author on social media, you probably don't know, really know what your favorite authors look like. You know, there are a handful of authors who I would recognize. And Stephen King is an immediately recognizable author. Um, whether or not you read his books, you know what he looks like. If you were sitting on a plane next to Stephen King, you would know it immediately. But I think for most authors, even if it's an author you love, you probably wouldn't recognize them if you were sitting next to them on a plane, which is something I think about all the time. And then I wonder how many close encounters with authors I love I may have had over the years without realizing it. How many opportunities to, to gush over them and get their autographs have I missed? over the years? I guess that's one of those questions that we'll never have a real answer to. But in any case, uh, those were my two encounters with overseas readers, at at least that I can remember. Um, I can't remember any others, at least not any other in-person encounters. Although over the years, I have received many wonderful letters from many different parts of the world um, from people who just love Homer. And and that is always incredibly gratifying for me to see that that Homer's story has meant so much that Homer himself, uh, both the books about him and also just himself on social media and 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 his presence in the world has meant so much to so many people in so many far flung places, far flung places. That's a little bit of a tongue twister. Far flung places. 
In any case, that that brings us to the end of this episode of Curl Up with a Cattail with Gwen Cooper. And thanks so much for those of you who have listened all the way to the end. And again, I, I do hope that you will consider leaving a review on iTunes if you are listening to us on iTunes. I am trying to make that that new and noteworthy list. And um, I would really be incredibly grateful on a personal level if you would leave a review or a rating of this podcast on iTunes. And by the way, if you do leave a review... You will be entered to win the chance to have my next new cat book, which comes out in April, dedicated to you and your cat. So you and your cat would be on that dedication page. Um, And all you have to do to enter to win is to leave a review of this podcast on iTunes. So thanks to those of you who have done so or will do so. And thank you to all of you for listening. I look forward to talking with you and continuing our conversation further in future episodes of Curl Up with a Cattail. And that concludes this episode of Curl Up with a Cattail with Gwen Cooper. Don't forget to invite your feline loving friends to listen to new episodes along with you. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, Find out how to get your name and your cat's name included in my next book or leave comments or questions for me to answer in future podcasts. Head on over to GwenCooper.com now. Thanks so much for joining me and don't forget to hug your cat today.